Good morning. God is good. All right, and all the time. Good. I'm glad you guys know that here. Uh, I want. Sorry, I was a little delayed getting out. I was watching uh, Pastor Richard on the video. I want to see what he's going to really say about me. You know, you don't know if you can trust that guy sometimes. Uh, no, you obviously can trust him. Uh, we've known each other since uh, wow, almost 20 years, I think. Um, our daughters are, we're in the same class, Christine and my daughter Alana, we're in the same class at Escondido Adventist Academy, and um, they lived in the same town we did while we were in San Diego, and then I moved up here to Cala Mesa, and he was here at Loma Linda, and so we've been able to continue the journey together. So I was blessed when he asked me to come and, and speak today with uh, his people here in Loma Linda, and um, yeah, he says he's working, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I want to go to Europe too. You know, we'll work that out. No, it's a special trip, uh, retracing the footsteps of the Reformation, and uh, actually would like to do that someday. That'd be a, a great thing. It's a pleasure and honor to be with you today. And uh, as you mentioned, I was pastoring at Calamasa for the last 10 years, and uh, uh, recently accepted the position of ministerial director here at Southeastern California Conference. And uh, so I'm getting, uh, I'm getting baptized by fire I uh, just had my first week in the office this last week, so I'm learning what that's like, and uh, it's been good. A little bit about myself, um, besides pastoring, I've been pastoring for the past 30 plus years, and um, my, uh, some of my family is here with me today. Uh, my mother, who's turning 90 years old on mo- Monday, is here today. She's in the back back there. Can we all just say happy birthday? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> she, uh, she's been following me around since I was a kid, you know? So uh, my wife, Lisa, is here as well. We've been married for 32 years. And uh, she actually, thank you, she works just across the street. She is a uh, marriage family therapist, and she's a a program manager for adult partial hospitalization at the Behavioral Medicine Center. That's a mouthful. Uh, But uh, I like to say I've been in therapy for 32 years, which is true. Uh, God knew I was a little crazy. I needed an in-house therapist. Um, and then my daughter, Alana, is with us today, too. She's in her second year of college, uh, working towards elementary education. So thanks for coming and being with me today, guys. Appreciate it. Good, good to be here. Um, I know Pastor Richard has been talking about spiritual growth for the last few weeks, about the posture, uh, the posture of sp- we have in spiritual growth. And I'm going to kind of piggyback on that today. And I want to make a statement today, very simple. I believe everything is about discipleship. Everything is about discipleship. Can you just say that with me today? Just everything is about discipleship. Okay, now as my wife tells me when I say I love her, say it like you mean it, okay? (laughs) Say everything is about discipleship. See, I believe Jesus came and taught us that everything in this life is about discipleship with him. It's about this relationship with him, this personal relationship and being his apprentice or being his disciple, Now, before I take off on this, I want to reiterate what was said in the worship service today when we were singing, that even though we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. I want us to understand discipleship has nothing to do with earning God's favor. We decide to be disciples because we already have God's favor. You see, just like the scriptures say, we've been saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone could boast, right? Right? The free gift of God is eternal life. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. We've been saved by grace. 
Or like Romans 8 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so what I'm talking about today, I don't want anybody to to get the wrong idea. I'm not talking about things we do to earn God's favor. It's because he came, he revealed to us his love of the Father. Just like a worship song I've really been enjoying lately says, the cross is all the confidence we need to know how much God loves us. And the cross is also the means to which Jesus invites us to come follow him. Deny yourself, he says, pick up the cross and follow me. And so everything I'm going to talk about today is because we have God's favor. And you see, grace is always opposed to earning. But listen to this, please. But it's never opposed to effort. Grace is always opposed to earning, but not to effort. And so I want to talk about this life at his feet today, living as a disciple of Jesus. You see, at his feet, to sit at the feet of Jesus meant that If you were one of his disciples when he was walking the face of this earth, it meant that you were sitting at his feet. It meant that he was your rabbi. It meant he was your master. He was your teacher. And you were the disciple. You were the one learning from him. And so we want to look at a passage. I'm going to look at a few passages today in Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 38. We're going to look at a couple of ladies. Jesus came to their house, and one of them sat at his feet. So let's just look at that. It says in verse 38, now as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, in all my years of pastoral ministry, I will tell you that if I ever brought a scripture passage to the board or the finance or other meetings, which I always did, this would always be the most controversial passage in a talk. Because immediately people started saying, I'm a Mary, you're a Martha, we're, you know, you start kind of like splitting up the crowd. Who are the Marys and who are the Marthas? And then it would sound like this. You know, Marthas are the ones that get things done. Don't get on Martha because she was getting things done. And if we were all like Mary, nothing would ever get done. Is that what this passage is saying? No. See, what I don't want us to do today is say, well, we know who the Marthas and the Marys are in the church. I want to suggest to you that we are all Martha and Mary at times. There are times in my life when I'm, I'm a Mary, and then there's times I'm a Martha, and I'm distracted. Look at some of the descriptives here. In verse 40, it says, but Martha was, what does it say? Distracted with all her preparations. The point that Luke is bringing out here, the Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write, was that she was distracted from Jesus. Jesus was in her very house, and she was distracted with all of her preparations. And that word preparations in the Greek is the same word we use for ministry. She was distracted. Her ministry for Jesus was distracting her from Jesus. And it happens all the time, and it happens to pastors too. She was distracted. Look how else she's described here in verse 41. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Worried and bothered about so many things. And and all these things are distracting you from me. And again, I'm not saying, again, some people are Marys and some people are Marthas. We're all this at times. 
There are times when our ministries, things that are great, that help people distract us from Jesus himself. And there are times when we are worried and bothered about many things. And let me tell you, being in the church, I'm born and raised in this church, and I've served in this church, like I said, for over 30 years, and uh, there's a lot of worried and bothered people in the church. (laughs) And sometimes, again, it's pastors as well. And it can distract us from Jesus. And so Luke, the Holy Spirit through Luke is reminding us discipleship, being at the feet of Jesus, and I'm going to unpack that more as we're here together this morning, being at the feet of Jesus is the most important thing. Because remember he said in verse 42, only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken from her. Only one thing is necessary. Jesus didn't say, here's three things. (laughs) Only one thing is necessary, and it's sitting at my feet. It's learning from me listening to me, being in relationship to me. And Jesus was very radical for his day. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but for women to sit at a rabbi's feet in the day of Jesus was radical because that was not allowed. But Jesus was okay with it. Jesus is okay for all to come to his feet and to learn from him and to be his disciple. So what does at his feet mean? Well, I want to go to John 15. In John 15, Jesus has just left the upper room. He's had his last supper with his disciples. And now he's out walking with his disciples on the night he's going to be betrayed. And he is in this vineyard. And Jesus, being the great teacher that he was and that he still is, he uses an object lesson from where he's at and the environment that he's at. And he says, I'm not going to read the whole, the whole chapter, but I'm going to bring out certain things. He says, first of all, in John 15, 5, which was read for us here this morning, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. How do you like being told that uh, you can do nothing? Here in the U.S., that's pretty, uh, pretty challenging. What do you mean I can do some things? But Jesus says himself, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You remain in me, you abide in me and I in you, and you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can't do anything. He goes on down a little further in John 15, 12, and he gives him this command. He says, my command is this, love each other. Is that all that he said? What else did he say? As I have loved you. That's a whole different type of love. In this world, we throw around the word love very loosely. I love you. Yeah, what does that mean? (laughs) He said, A new command I give to you, love one another. Not just love one another, but love as I have loved you. And he was about to reveal how much he loved his disciples, how much he loved the world by going to the cross. Further on in John 15, he, the very last verse of John 15, after he's been talking about this whole imagery of the vine and the branches and abiding in him, he says in the very last verse, verse 27, he says, and you also shall bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. He says it's this relationship thing. He says, you're going to abide in me and I'm going to abide in you and you're going to bear much fruit. And as you do that, you are going to love one another, but not just love, you're going to love one another like I've loved you. Maybe you've heard of this agape love from the Bible, the sacrificial love of the Bible. And as a result of that, it's going to continue to spill out and you're going to bear witness to the world, those you work with, those you live with, those you you walk this life with. 
that you've been with me. People are going to notice a difference. It's going to be like this rippling effect. You know, if you were to throw a, a, a pebble in the water and it would just kind of ripple out. It's this organic, natural overflow of what would happen. I like to refer to these as three, three priorities. I'm going to show them to you on the screen here. Priority number one is this abiding in Christ. He says, abide in me, abide in the vine and the branches. When that happens, the next thing happens. We love one another. Priority number two, love one another happens as he's loved us. And then priority three, we will bear witness because we've been with him. These concentric circles, it's just organic, it's natural. It happens just by being with Jesus. And we see that in the life of the disciples as they went on and, and God worked through them in the book of Acts, the natural overflow. I want to share something with you today with this, uh, this table. I brought a few things. I brought my own yoke today, if you're wondering what this is. Because I'm going to put some people to work, all right? I'm going to put this down for a minute. And I brought, I brought a couple of sets of some, um, what do you call this? Uh, maybe you can figure it out. But I brought something to share with you as an example of this. Something a mentor taught me years and years ago. I brought a pitcher and I brought a, uh, a cup and a saucer and a plate. I have to be very careful when I, when I take these around. Now I just have to find the cup. Let's see. Here we go. So we have a pitcher, a cup, a saucer, and a plate. So now what was really nice is that I had this set in Calamesa, and it was plain white. And there was someone at Calamesa I didn't know uh, painted on things like this. So she hand-painted this onto this, on this pitcher on the cup. And then on the uh, saucer and the plate, you can see she did some leaves uh, on there, some from the vines. Beautiful. And so, it's in, in a sense, Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying, God is the pitcher, and this cup is your life. And God wants to pour into your life. Abide in me. Abide in me. As you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And as we abide in God and he pours into our life, it's going to overflow out of the cup of our life onto the relationships. This saucer represents the relationships that we have. Those we go to school with, those that we work with, those at home, those around as we go to our day-to-day life. It's going to overflow onto the saucer of our life, into the relationships. This plate represents the tasks, all the things that we have to get done in this life. And he says, as you go about, you're going to bear witness as you do those tasks that you've been with me. And this is important because oftentimes in this life, a lot of us like to live like this, right? I got so many things to do. Jesus, I, I'm sorry. I just don't have time to squeeze in some abiding. But I got this, but yet I got nothing. Or trying to pour into the relationships of our life, trying to love people like Jesus loves us, but if the abiding isn't there, it's, it's not that sacrificial love. It's not the love that says, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I was wrong. Confession. Or, you know, another way, sometimes you can do this. We can come up with all kinds of different... You, you, you come up with the imagery that applies to you. It's also not saying this. Man, I just love abiding. I'm never going to hang out with anybody. <laughs> 
and I ain't going to get anything done because I just love that warm, fuzzy feeling of just being alone with God. But that's not what living at the feet of Jesus is about. Okay? So I'm just going to leave this here. And I'm going to bring out another set. All right? Another picture. And uh, another saucer. And another uh, cup. And another plate. This is getting sophisticated. Now, I probably didn't need to do this, but I thought, you know, I'm a visual person, so I thought, why not? Why not? So, since this one has the beautiful imagery of the vine and the branches, let's just say this is, this is that abiding in the vine, abiding in Jesus, the vine and the branches, and bearing fruit. And this would be another plain set that I have. And let's just say, what's pouring into our lives? What is the number one thing that, that I'm allowing to pour into my life? Maybe it's school. Maybe it's career. Maybe it's, God, I just can't get off social media. (laughs) Maybe it's my phone. (laughs) Maybe it's the craving to be affirmed and to be accepted for everybody to like me. Maybe it's, I don't know what it is, but whatever that is, it's pouring out into our relationships and in the way we go about getting things done. Let me tell you, the world has a lot to say about what they want to fill your life with, what they want to fill my life with. When I was a teenager, I had a, uh, had a friend whose mother worked for McDonald's. And uh, she recruited people for their commercials. And so my friend says, hey, you want to be in a McDonald's commercial? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and a good Adventist boy wants to be in a McDonald's commercial. They didn't have the veggie burgers then, you know. And uh, so I went. And over in the city of industry, over by La Puente, they have this place in an industrial park. I don't know if they still do, but they did. And it was where they filmed all the McDonald's commercials. And it was really weird because you went and you go, oh, there's this McDonald's right in the middle of all this industry. And, and you tried to, there was no back. There were two fronts because they could change all the setup all the time. So it wasn't, wasn't real. You walked in and everything was movable inside, you know, all the seating area, the kitchen, everything was completely movable. And I went downstairs and I found this guy who was creating the hamburgers for the commercial. Now, if you've ever seen, you know, a picture of like a Quarter Pounder or a Big Mac or whatever, I mean, it just looks perfect, right? <laughs> he was there, I kid you not, he was, he was going through a bag of buns, you know, the sesame seed bun, and he was find, finding only the perfect ones. Any that were missing, like even just a couple, threw them away, you know? Found, he had to handpick the perfect ones. And then he found like the perfect, like he was grilling the meat, but it wasn't done, you know? Like, if you cut it open, it was just blood red. It was just, like, really gross. But it looked perfect on the outside. And then he would assemble the burger, and he would put them together, and I go, well, aren't you going to put, like, the special sauce and all that? No, 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 no. We put it together, perfect. I get the lettuce coming out just right. I get the pickles just coming out right. I get all that. And then he had syringes of this, all the sauce and everything, and he would take it and just squirt it. Just, I just want that there. It looks like it's just oozing out perfectly. But what was really fun to see was that they brought out a tray of these hamburgers, these raw, like hardly any condiments on it at all type burgers. And these were the burgers that the people in the commercial were going to be biting into and smiling afterwards, right? 
So they brought out these trays, and it was this commercial where there was like this father and this son having this great early morning breakfast at, uh, or lunch. I'm sorry. They're having this lunch, and this police officer was involved, and it was just, I just, anyways. They're, they're there, and then they go to grab the hamburgers, and they're, and they're just smiling. I'm going, oh, you know, it just tastes disgusting. You know, it's like that raw, bloody burger without the special sauce, just a little dab of it. No, that wasn't good. Let's do it over, right? And they kept doing it over and over until they got the perfect take. Church, there is nothing that compares to abiding in Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing. And this world comes at us from all different angles now through all of our phones and our computers and our TVs and whatever to convince us that there are better things to abide in that will bring our life all the satisfaction and fulfillment that we want. And Jesus says, not true. Abide in me, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Dallas Willard was a philosopher and um, taught philosophy at the University of Southern California. He was also a Christian, passed away a few years ago. He said, there are four questions every person in every religion has to answer. Four questions. And I like to say, this is, what was the reality Jesus lived in and invited others to live in with him? What was it? What is reality? Jesus would say, it's the kingdom of God. Reality is the kingdom of God. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is now here. You can enter in. That's what the Beatitudes were all about. Blessed are you who who don't have money. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who are broken because the kingdom of God has come to you. You don't have to be wealthy. You don't have to have position. The good news is that the kingdom has come to you. I've come proclaiming good news. Come live in the kingdom of God. Then he would say, who is really blessed in this life? Jesus, in his reality, would say, someone who's alive in the kingdom of God. Okay, so who is a good person? And Jesus would say, someone pervaded with that agape love. Love one another like I've loved you. So how does someone get to become a good person? Jesus simply said this, this, come follow me. Come follow me. And you will find the meaning to your life, the purpose for your life. And so Jesus, in Matthew chapter 11, said these words about a yoke. You see, we often come to this passage as a passage of comfort. Come unto, me, you, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest, right? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And we often come there saying, yes, I want that rest. But really, this is a passage about discipleship. This is a passage Jesus is saying. I love the message translation, which we have up there. It says this, Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father and son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does, but I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. 
Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. That's good news, people. Jesus invites us into the yoke to, to come under a yoke, to sit at someone's feet and to come under their yoke. It was back in the day of Jesus where it was like, I'm coming under the yoke of this rabbi. I'm coming under his teachings. I'm going to be mastered by this person. And so Jesus says, you really want to be mastered in life, true life, the abundant life? Come under my yoke. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. And this is how we do it. Walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. That's what Jesus did when he was on earth with the Father. Jesus said in the book of John a few times, I don't do anything I don't see the Father doing, and I don't say anything I don't hear the Father saying. And he invites us into that same life through the presence of the Holy Spirit so we can be listening to him and we can be observant of what he's up to as we live at his feet. Now, I'm going to bring my yoke out this time. All right. Glenn, can you help me out here? All right. I need you to invite somebody. We need somebody else to help us. Can you help us over here? Can you come up? And, are you willing to come up and help us? Sure. All right. You go. There you go. All right. Come here. All right. Come on up here. All right. What's your name? Jacob. Jacob. Fist bump. All right. Jacob. I'm John. We've got some good biblical names. Glenn, not so much. All right. There we go. Maybe God will give you a new name, but we'll work on it. <laughs> All right. So we have a yoke. Now, who knows what a yoke is used for? Nobody. All right, Glenn, you got to help these people. What is this used for? We use it for like oxen, you know, animals, beasts of burden, we would call them, right? Putting a burden on them, and you have a couple, uh, maybe, let's say, oxen here, and they're going to maybe pull something to harvest a field. They're going to do something to prep the field, and they're going to work in this together, right? So we're going to put this yoke on you guys, all right? So, Glenn, you'll be on this side. Let's get you on here. No, you're not going to hold it. You're going you're to get in there, all right? There you go. Good. All right. And uh, Jacob, you're going to be here. All right, good. All right. Now, just stay there for the next 15 minutes, okay? We'll be good. I'm just kidding. Somebody getting a picture of this? We got a, this is good material right here. I want to send this to Pastor Richard, all right? I had to discipline a couple of your members during the sermon. They were, <laughs> all right. So, you guys are looking good. You're even smiling, I think. Good. So, if we're in the field, all right, now, I'm sure Jacob is a very hard worker, but who do you think is probably going to be the strongest in this? Okay. Yeah, I know who your friends are, Jacob. All right. If you were betting, <laughs> all right, you had money on it, all right, there's a good chance Glenn's going to, when it gets to the tougher stuff, he's going to have a little bit more muscle mass to be able to do what needs to get done. Now, Jacob might be a little smarter than Glenn. All right, we don't know that. That might be the case. All right? And he might say, Glenn, you don't have to work that hard. You need to work smart, right? So that, that's possible. But all right, you guys have done good. Good job. I just want to get the imagery. Let's give him a hand. But Jesus calls us into this yoke. And let me ask you this. When we're in the yoke with Jesus, who do you think is going to be doing most of the work? Jesus. There's no way I'm going to be doing more work than Jesus. He's God. You see, and the other thing is, is that when they train these beasts of burden how to work in the field, they always put the stronger one with the younger one to start teaching them how to go about this, right? If you had horses in there, you had a Clydesdale horse and you had a, a Shetland pony, <laughs> Clydesdale is going to be doing the work. And Jesus says, come into this yoke with me, walk with me, work with me, watch how I do it. And as you do that, you will learn these unforced rhythms of grace. See, oftentimes, if we're not intimate with Jesus, we're not growing in intimacy with Jesus, we're fighting against the rhythms of grace because we're trying to make things happen. 
We're trying to make things happen. And when it comes to kingdom things, it just can't happen. And so Jesus also said this. I love this verse. Now, don't show him the verse yet. Go ahead and hide that. Thank you. I want to share with you what I feel is the most misquoted quote in the history of this world. How many of you know the quote, you shall know the truth and the truth shall what? See, you know it. How many of you know what was said before that? Now you probably do. but <laughs> See, it's been said so many times, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And we use that in institutions, educational, academic institutions, because that institution is going to teach you the truth, right? And you're going to be free to live. But Jesus was the one who said, well, now we can put it up there, John 8, 31 and 32. If you abide in my word and you are truly my disciples... You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. See, Jesus, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, was in the context of abiding in Jesus' word and being his disciples. When we abide in his word and we are under his, his, his yoke, we're abiding in that vine, then we know the truth, and the truth will set us free. See, I've stopped, years ago I stopped praying for God to be with people. Because I believe God is always with us. And I pray for people to be with God. I pray for me to be with God. God, help me to be present with you today. Help me as I'm with pastors. Help me as I'm with administration. Help me to be present to you, to be aware with you, to walk with you, to work with you in the boardroom, to work with you in these situations so that I can be active in what you're up to in this person's life. Help me to live in your unforced rhythms of grace. Help me to be present with you. And so the key to all this and what I'm going to suggest for us as I begin to bring this to a close today is to remember that all these things are not so much something we do, but someone we're with when it comes to abiding. Because I'm going to suggest some specific Specific things. It's all about this relationship with Jesus. Living in those postures that Pastor Richard talked about. In John 10, Jesus said these words. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So what are some things that we can do to know God and to be known by God and to hear his voice and to follow him. And I'm sure there are many things that you're doing. And I'm sure that there are wonderful things. I want to encourage you, keep doing those things. And remember, you never do those things to earn God's favor. God, I read my Bible every day. God, I gave my tithes and offering. God, I showed up to church. God, I... It's not to earn his favor. But there are things to be present to God and to be aware of. And so... It's all about being with Jesus, intentionally being with Jesus, Jesus, being loved, being taught, being trained, being led by Jesus. But it's going to require some effort. If this is new for some of you or you want to grow in this area, it's going to require some effort. You see, the word discipline, which sometimes has a negative connotation, you're going to be disciplined, right? But anything worth anything is about being disciplined, right? If you're going to med school, you're going to dental school, you have entered a dominion in which someone is governing your life and telling you you're going to go under this discipline because this is going to equip you to be what you want to be. 
And in the kingdom of God, we come under the reign of God and we say we are convinced that coming under the reign of God and coming into the yoke of Jesus and abiding in the vine is the greatest opportunity I have for this life and the life to come. And so I want to be a disciple. At the very root of discipline is the word disciple. I remember being a youth pastor and I had a lot of young people who'd say, man, I wish I was a pro basketball player. Man, I wish I was a a pro football player. I wish I was a pro skateboarder. I wish I, whatever. And I go, no, you don't. They say, what do you mean I don't? I go, you don't want to put in all the work they have to put in. You don't want to have to watch meticulously what you eat every day. You don't want to have to show up for hours and hours of practice and put in 300 three-point shots a day. You don't want to have to do this. You don't have to do that. You want to be there when the light's on, but you don't want to put on all that work. It takes some discipline. And so I want to say, first of all, living at his feet always, always entails prayer, praying. And just, that just means just talking with God as to a friend. Talking to him. And sometimes people will say, well, I don't know what to say. I don't know. I, I'm not going to say the right thing. I want to suggest you can never say the wrong thing when you're talking to God. Never. He loves to hear from us. He loves to hear from his sons and daughters. He loves it. I'll tell you, even if, even if my kids are mad at me, I love talking with them. You're like, no, you don't. <laughs> it may not be, be as enjoyable in that moment, but I sure don't want us to ever stop talking. And that's why Jesus came, because he wants to keep the conversation going. The conversation had stopped. And he says, no, 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 let's keep talking. Let's keep talking. And so pray, just talk with God. Even if you're angry, if you read the book of Psalms, I love the book of Psalms because it's like David, David is, is just, every feeling and emotion is there. God, I'm angry. I hate these people. I wish you'd kill them. I mean, you can pray like that. It's in the Bible. <laughs> now, God may not honor that prayer, <laughs> but you can talk to him about it. It's on your heart. God, I rejoice. I'm so happy. Life is so great. God, I'm crying myself to sleep. God, I'm... Just talk with him. Just be real. Be real. The other is just the attitude of surrender at his feet. The posture of surrender, like Pastor Richard talked about. We bow down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. God, I surrender this day to you. God, I surrender this meeting to you. God, I surrender my child to you. I surrender my friend to you, my teacher, my boss. Surrender. The other thing I want to suggest is marinating. Now, Ciccarelli is an Italian name. So I love food. I love... I don't love bad food. I love good food. And uh, I'm looking forward to your potluck because you have good food at your potluck, right? Now, someone laughed, so that might not be true. Is that true? (laughs) No? Yes? Uh, Okay, see, the truth is right here. I know where to go for the truth, right? All right, thanks. So I need you guys to kind of steer me in the right direction, okay? All right, just saying. Um, So I love love all kinds of food, but, you know, growing up, uh, when my grandma Ciccarelli would come come over from Rochester, New York, and she would work all day in the kitchen and put together this, these great meals every day, you know, pasta from scratch, you know, and all of this, and it was so good. But, you know, you marinate the stuff. You want to have that flavor. So I like to take, I like to call marinating. I want to marinate in God's word. I want to marinate. I had a mentor who used to say, John, we need to live like this. <laughs> we need to live like this. Anything that wants to get to my brain has to go through this Bible. Anything that wants to get to my heart has to go through here. So we marinate in it. What I mean by marinate is that we study it. We memorize it. I'll tell you, there's almost nothing more powerful than just taking a verse or two 
and just memorizing it. And when you go to bed at night, just marinate in that verse. When you're driving or you're walking or you're exercising, just marinate in that verse. Whatever it is, just marinate. And God will use that to teach and help us be aware of his activity in life. And then I also like to say, linger in God's word. Read it slowly. Don't be in a rush. And what you can do is when you're reading through, maybe just take, you can take a passage. It doesn't have to be a whole chapter. It could just be a few verses. It could even be one verse. But just take that and read it through once slowly and, and ask the Holy Spirit to bring to your attention a word or a phrase that he really wants you to focus on and marinate in for that day or maybe even for that week. And let him unpack it for you. And then read through it again a second time and say, what, what feelings is this bringing up in me? And talk to God about those feelings. We're engaging the head. We're engaging the heart. And then the third time as you read it through, say, what do I sense? Pray to God. What are you inviting me into today through this passage? And so now I've engaged the head, the heart, and my active life. Really simple. Just being there with God in it. Now, there may be some here today who, I've got to watch my time. Ooh, I've been going a while. Sorry, I'm Italian. I like to talk. But you guys are okay there, right? <laughs> um, so some of you maybe are like, I, I, how do I get on the on-ramp? How do I do this? I want to suggest to you something I think is very simple, but it can be challenging at times. Um, a book I recently read called Atomic Habits. Great book on building habits. And he said, you know, if you have a problem exercising, you want to exercise every day, but you don't know how, just set the goal to get up and get dressed every day. That's it. Just get up. Put on your sweats, put on your tennis shoes and say, I've done it. You're done. You met your goal for the day. And just do that. My goal is to do that every day. And if you get that done, then he says, well, I really want to go to the gym. Well, then make it your goal to put on your shoes and your sweats, get in the car, go to the gym. But as soon as you get to the gym, just turn around and come back home. But if while you're there, you feel like doing something, go ahead, right? Just go ahead and do that. You know, get on the elliptical, go do whatever you're going to do. But if you don't feel like you've reached your goal, then after you've done that for a little while and you're showing up to the gym every day but you're just turning around and going right back home, now set a goal that I'm going to go there and I'm going to do one piece of exercise equipment. I'm going to get there, I'm going to go, I'm going to do some bench press. Okay, that was good, I'm going home. You know? Just do that. And before you know it, things are happening. So maybe with you, you're like, you know, I just, I just can't get to opening up the scripture. I, can't, I, can't, I just can't get into reading the Bible. Make it your goal just to get there and take your, whatever you have your Bible on, whatever device you have it on, or if you have something old like this, you know, with paper or whatever it is, just make it your goal to get there and to show up and talk to God. And that's it. And if you feel like doing more, do it. If not, you've, you've done it. You've shown up. Just shown up with God and just being with him. But you see, we live at his feet, and I love the phrase at his feet because it's not just when we're sitting, listening through the word, through prayer, but Jesus' feet move. He said, come follow me. And he did ministry. But he often said, too, come get away with me for a rest. Jesus, the scripture says, often withdrew to lonely places to pray. But he was also there healing the blind, healing the lame, healing the deaf, healing and doing miracles and bringing justice to injustices. And so as we abide with him and we live at his feet, there will be moments of stillness and quietness and listening, and there'll be moments of going and serving as well. I want to close by sharing with you a story, a true story about a homeless man. I was at a meeting one day in San Bernardino and talking about ministry to the community. And I was talking to this guy whose ministry was ministering to the homeless in San Bernardino County. 
He got a call one, one day from the uh, county offices, and they said, hey, we got this homeless guy on the steps, on the steps of our building, and he's a veteran, and it looks really bad. Could you come and take him and take care of him? And he said, yeah, I'll be there. And so he went and he picked this guy up, and he says, John, I've worked with homeless for years and years and years, and I've never seen anybody this bad. I've never seen anybody this filthy. I've never seen anybody that smelled this bad. And I got him and I put him in my car and I took him to my house. And he says he was so filthy and he smelled so bad. I felt bad. I, I, I had to do two different cleanings of him. I had to do a preliminary cleaning outside before I moved him inside. I had to get the first layer of all the dirt and everything that was on him off of him outside. And then when I got that layer off, I, I brought him into my house. We got him into the bathroom and we got him all showered and got him cleaned up. So then I took him to the barber because he had this hair. It was just like this rat's nest. It was just all tangled and matted. And he had this beard that hadn't been shaven in who knows how long. And his hair and his beard were all tangled together. And so I went to the barber and the barber, he was sitting in the chair, the mirror in front of him. And the barber went to start cutting. And as he got close, the guy made this sound. And the barber and he got kind of scared, didn't know what was going to happen. And he went again, he went, Ugh. And so he said, we're just going to try to trim you up and, and clip your beard and trim you up. And so he gave him permission and started trimming the beard and started trimming the hair and got him all trimmed up. And the guy looked at himself in the mirror and he said two words. And these are the words he said. He said, I'm handsome. And my, the guy I was talking to said, what did you say? And he said, I'm handsome. And this guy got excited. Yes, you are. You're very handsome. And then he said two more words. He said, I forgot. I forgot. And I share that story with you today because church, fellow disciples and brothers and sisters in Jesus, this life is coming at us hard. Hard and fast. And if we're not careful, we'll forget how special we are to Jesus. And we'll for forget that the greatest opportunity we have in this life is to be his disciple and to abide in him and to live life at his feet because there's so many other things. There's so many other things in the plate of our life that feels like it's just, how can I find time? And Jesus is saying, prioritize, abide in me. Abide in me and I will begin to work in your relationships like nothing you've ever seen before. Your love is going to change. You're going to experience a different life. And the plate of your life, don't worry. We'll take care of that. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. It's this posture of learning from Jesus. I pray it all the time. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen to this meeting. I'm a little scared about what might happen in this meeting, about this conversation. But I'm going to recklessly abandon the outcomes to you. Because I know you're there before I even show up in the room. And so help me to work with you. Help me to really listen to what you're doing in this meeting. Help me to understand I surrender it all to you. Living at his feet, wherever we go and whatever we do. So let's never forget that the greatest life is living life at his feet. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for how good you are. We thank you for inviting us into this incredible life of living life at your feet. 
And so Jesus, we need grace to do that. And so would you lavishly pour out your grace to live intentionally as your disciples day in and day out. We know we can never do it perfectly, but we thank you that you're a God of grace. You don't expect us to do it perfectly. You know there will be shortcomings. You know there will be failures, but that's all part of being students. It's all part of being apprentices and disciples is learning, learning from you. But thank you that you never leave us where you find us. So lead us to abide in you, to steep our lives deep into you because we want you overflowing out of our lives into our relationships and all the things that we do. Living in that yoke with you until the day you come. Would you take a moment now just to talk to Jesus in silent prayer about whatever you sense he's saying to you this morning?